Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you all this morning. Um, as Pastor Andy had mentioned in the announcements, that uh, we have a baptism coming up two weeks from today. So next week will be a baptism class, um, and then after, right after church, and then the following week will be the baptism at the Sandersons. And um, I just encourage you to, to uh, one is to, if you'd like to come, come and support those that are being baptized. It's a precious, precious time. And, and also, if you have not been baptized and you are a believer, your faith is in Christ. Um, the Lord has called us to believe and to be baptized. It's part of obedience unto the Lord and identifying ourselves with Christ and his death and with his resurrection and, and before this world, identifying ourselves with him. And so um, the Lord's called us to, to believe and to be baptized. So I just want to encourage you, if you have not been baptized, come see me after the service and... Um, or if you have a, a child who would like to be baptized or um, professes Christ and it's clear that, that uh, to you that they are trusting in Christ, um, I encourage you to talk with Pastor Andy or myself, but we try to, to uh, make sure that it's appropriate and that uh, the kids are in a place where truly their, their faith is in Christ and, and they're ready to be baptized. Um, and so that'll be class next week and the following week the baptism and should be a, a precious time um, pastor don is heading off for ethiopia a week from today right and uh and so i just want to encourage you to be praying for him as uh he's in ethiopia um, training pastors training church leaders so thankful that he's able to to use his retirement as a senior pastor and going to the uttermost parts of the world and when you think of ethiopia it is the uttermost parts of the world. It is far, far away. It's about as far as you can get from here. And, uh, and they are just in desperate need of, of being trained, hungry for God's word. And so we're going to be praying for him and for his trip. How long are you gone, Pastor Don? About 12 days. 12 days. So from next Sunday, 12 days, let's just hold up that whole trip in prayer. And we'll pray for, for that this morning as well. Um, great time on the men's retreat last week. Hopefully your spouses came home like super godly. Yeah, see? Um, no, it's, it's a, it was a precious, precious time. Good fellowship together, and, uh, and we were thankful. So let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for our church, thankful for you being the center of our church. We're thankful, Lord, that we had have the glorious gospel. Salvation comes through faith in you, Christ, alone. It's all by grace for your glory. You save us, Lord. Trust in the work of your Son upon the cross for our salvation. Lord, I pray that... Uh, you would give Pastor Don just great boldness as he goes to Ethiopia, open doors for him to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, to equip pastors and church leaders. I pray that you would use him just in incredible ways to magnify you and to proclaim your word. We pray for the upcoming, upcoming baptism, Lord, that um, it would be a joyful time of just watching all that you accomplish in our lives, Lord specifically in our salvation as we rejoice with those who have been saved and identify ourselves with you, Christ, belonging unto you. Now we pray, Lord, that you would just be with us as we study your word, recognizing that we are in such desperate need of your word to teach us, to cause us to think biblically, to mold us, to conform us into your image. And we pray, Lord, that you would accomplish that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The text for this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. If you would like to turn there in your Bibles, if you don't have Bibles with you, a Bible with you, there's Bibles that are under the pews. I encourage you to grab one so that you can follow along with us. Um, title for the this morning's sermon is holy matrimony and 
looking specifically at marriage in light of Ephesians chapter 5 and what God calls us towards in marriage, the beauty of it, privilege of it, the joy of it, but thinking biblically about marriage. Um, I recognize going into the sermon that there's people from a number of different places. Um, There's those that are kids who are here. We encourage you not to be married for a long, long time. No, just kidding. But there's there's those of you guys that are young here. And uh, there's those that that are single. And I know that for me, I was single until I was 32 years old. And the Lord brought me my wife um, at that age and, and was so blessed. But I know that there was a time frame where I wanted to be married. I really wanted to be married. And, uh, and yet, that wasn't the Lord's will for me. I jammed through college so I could be done with college, so I could get married and provide for a spouse. But um, the Lord had different plans to where he used that singleness for his glory for those, for those years. And uh, I thank the Lord. The only thing, you know, when, when you look at wanting to be married so badly, um, something far worse than being single, and that is being married to a person that would not build you up at all in your walk with Christ and be um, a difficult thing for you. And, uh, and the Lord had all of that in his perfect timing, um, and, and I'm thankful for that. And so trusting the Lord through, through that. There's those that... Um, are single through loss of a loved one or through divorce. And, uh, and so there's, there's thoughts that go into these things as we look at, at what marriage is like for you and, and if God would have that for you in the future or what, what it ought to look like. And specifically looking at, at who Christ is to us as our bridegroom as well. There's some here whose marriages are a struggle. It's a, it's a marriage in, in, in which maybe you're married to an unbeliever or maybe you're in a place of being married to a believer, but your marriage is just in a place where it is not operating in a way that's even close to being biblical. And if you're here this morning, maybe go easy on the elbows towards others. Um, but be encouraged because... God's word is so clear on these things and he can mold us and shape us into his image. And there's those here who maybe think your marriage is just amazing and uh, that you have the whole thing put together and probably this will be very good for you um, if you're in a place where in your mind it's perfect but in God's mind it's, it's not. And, and then there's those that are in a place where you're, just, you're in a healthy biblical marriage and that's a wonderful thing and you're enjoying the fruit of that but it's also important to be encouraged and challenged with the text that comes from scripture as far as what god's called us towards and so i know that 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 there's people from all different circumstances here this morning as well as we are influenced highly by our culture Uh, our culture has had a huge impact on christian marriages huge impact as far as our marriages becoming and looking far more like the world's marriages than what god's called us towards biblically um, the roles of men and women. We live in a time in which our society would love for there to be zero distinction between men and women. And, and that's far from being biblical. Um, women are 100% better than men at being women. And men ought to be 100% better than women at being men. Um, we live in a culture in which there's, there's this effort to make no distinction at all between men and women. And yet, that is absolutely counter to what we find in Scripture. There's something beautiful about a godly woman, a biblical woman. There's something incredible and beautiful about a godly man and what God's called men towards. Um, and so I encourage you this morning to... to just have your hearts open to God's word. What does God's word say about biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, marriage, what it ought to look like? Um, some of you maybe have come from a position of like, well, it's just who you married. You knew what you were getting into. 
as if, as if you're totally okay to never be conformed into the image of Christ, satisfied with your depravity from birth until death. That's not, not to be how we are. We should be molded, conformed continually into the image of Christ. Hopefully, who you are today as a husband or as a wife will be far different than who you'll be in five years or ten years. Because we need to have changes. We need to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And so with that being said, let's, let's look at our, our text before us. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in, in verse 22. And we'll read through verse 33. Ephesians five twenty-two: Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. As we read read through various portions of this scripture, there may be some here within the church in whom it pricks in a way of, I'm not comfortable with that and more than likely it is because you have seen the abuses of husbands or wives for that matter but sin that has been there within the marriage that makes the idea of submission look like something that is is horrible to you and that's a result of men being in a place of sin Men leading in ways that are not loving, that are not honoring to God. Being in, in a place where, where the world has said this is what things ought to look like, and yet it's far different than what's biblical. Marriage is something that has been created by God. It's not something that we as people create. The first marriage is found in Genesis chapter 2. And we see that as God created everything, his response to everything was that, and it was good. Until he comes to man and he says in Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man should be alone. And God says, I will make him a helper comparable to him. And he goes on and he says that the Lord took from Adam's side as he slept from his rib, that from man he, he made a woman. And Adam said, now this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. The beauty of marriage is God said, now this is good. Making a wife for the man because God's glorified more through that. Matthew 19, the Lord says, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. God joins those together in marriage. A man is not to separate that. 
God has made marriage in such that it is to be between male and female. Very clear in Scripture what marriage ought to look like. God created marriage, not man. We don't get to define marriage. He does. And he's very clear on it. Likewise, in the roles of, of men and women, husbands and wives, in Ephesians 5.22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. So what does biblical submission look like? The relationship of a wife with her husband is not to be characterized by domination, slavish obedience or dominance or, or oppression. Biblical submission does not mean that a wife is inferior in any way to the husband. You see submission there within the Trinity where you have God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, where God the Son is in submission to the will of the Father and the Holy Spirit is subordinate to the Father and the Son, and yet they are equal and they're worthy of all glory and honor and worship. There's submission that's there, subjecting the Son to the Father, the Holy Spirit to the Father and the Son, and yet preciousness about the Trinity. Christ came to this world at a time where in the Roman Empire, women were greatly oppressed. Their testimonies in court were not to count as much as that of a man. Women were often looked upon as property and looked down upon throughout society. Christ came to earth through the Virgin Mary. He worked miraculously through a barren woman to bring about John the Baptist when she was in her older years. He ministered with women and to women. He healed women. He pointed the most sinful women in society to the fountain of living water. Christ even had women be the first to bring the greatest news that he had risen from the dead to the rest of the disciples. Where the gospel is proclaimed and believed, women are positioned with the greatest rights and given the highest respect in any place and throughout all of history. It's a wonderful thing when you see Christianity come into a region. You see the changes that take place for women in those areas. As a church, we must be very clear that we, we are so thankful. We are so thankful for the high, high position in which God calls women towards. To be esteemed, cherished, loved. The wife's submission is to be done and it tells us, as to the Lord. The motivation for the submissive heart is sourced in a love and adoration for Christ. She submits as unto the Lord. The wife's submissive heart must always be first submissive to God. No woman's ever called to neglect what God commands or disobey what God commands. We always submit to God first. No husband ought to ever call his wife towards sin and to think that she must submit towards that first. Um, you're to submit as unto the Lord and to the Lord first. It tells us for the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. This is a call for husbands to lead in a loving and servant-like role. You think of Mark 10, 45 where it tells us that Christ... Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That headship is not one in which it's just like, okay, well, I'm in charge. You don't see that with Christ. You see Christ serving. He becomes the least. He becomes the servant of all. Husband's headship should be that which produces a, a sense of great responsibility and even greater humility and dependence upon Christ. Apart from Him, we could do nothing. Sensing that, that for us as, as men, if God's called us to lead, we, we ought to be men who pray. Desperately pray for wisdom and how that ought to take place. The husband does not have spiritual superiority. Note this, to, to be chauvinistic is sin. It's just straight sin. This passage does not approve any kind of tyranny within the home. 
I, I would be an absolute fool to make decisions in a tyrannical manner without seeking the wisdom and the counsel of my wife. I'd be an absolute fool. One is because she's smarter than me. Yeah, you want to say amen. Those of you who know my wife well know that, that she's very, very smart. Um, but also, I ought to respect what she thinks. I don't want to be in a place as a husband where it's just like, oh, submit, and you have to submit. Be in a place where we pray through things, we look at God's word, we discuss things together to where we come to an agreement that Christ is going to be most glorified through this. Also, the idea of just loving your neighbor as yourself. The last thing in the world that I would want, if I were the wife, if the husband said to me, like, well, submit. I don't care. You have to submit. I would, I would, I would want to punch him in the mouth. I, it would be something where, like, for me, it would be like, why would you say like that? Like, it, it, would, it, would, it would just rub me in, in a way that that was, would be so hard to deal with. Likewise, should I have that attitude towards my spouse. Rather being in a place of, of loving her, cherishing her, pointing her towards Scripture, being in a place where wanting to agree on things together, loving her and leading her in a way that I would want to be loved and I would want to be led. Wanting to be in agreement with things as we move forward. Martin Luther wrote, the Christian is supposed to love his neighbor. And since his wife is his nearest neighbor, she should be his deepest love. And I would agree with that entirely. To love her like that. Luther also wrote, let the wife make the husband glad to come home. And let him make her sorry to see him leave. The way in which we live, the sweetness of marriage. My wife makes me glad to come home. Lord willing, I make her sorry to see me leave. Um, A sweetness that's there within the marriage to where we're loving each other as we would want to be loved. To lead within the home is to take spiritual headship in the home. But it's not a tool for self-interest, but rather accountability for service to our families and to our church and unto the Lord. That leadership, that headship ought to never be that which is for my own self-interest, meaning sinful self-interest. So God's called the, the wife, as we find here in our text, to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord, because he's worthy of it. There's leadership that's there. Husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Think of how Christ leads. Think of how he loves Christ is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. It's a beautiful thing. When we think of our lives, our Christian lives, our lives are to display the gospel. We are to live the gospel. When you sin against me, My forgiveness should be that which, if you were to look at my forgiveness, it should be, I forgive as Christ has forgiven me. There should be a way in which I forgive that looks like the gospel. It's been demonstrated through Christ. The way in which I have hope should be totally saturated with the gospel. We have hope that the world doesn't have because we have a Savior that the world doesn't have. We have a knowledge of our God. We know that He's in control. We know where we will go. There should be hope. For us, that's different than the world. And if we are married, our marriages should be a demonstration of the gospel. People should be able to look upon a husband and wife and see that there's something radically different about you because of the way that you are towards your spouse. Not in a place of, well, this is who she married, or this is who he married but wanting to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ, that we would just exemplify the gospel to everybody. A husband loving his wife the way Christ loved the church. Wives loving their husbands, submissive unto their husbands. It's a picture of the church towards Christ. Our marriages ought to look like that. 
Ephesians 5.25 goes on and says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. A group of theologians got together and wrote what's called the Danvers Statement on biblical manhood and womanhood in the late 80s. Part of it reads as follows. The fall introduced distortions into the relationship between men and women. In the home, the husband's loving Humble headship tends to be replaced by domination or passivity. The wife's intelligent, willing submission tends to be replaced by usurpation and servility. It's not how it ought to be. We shouldn't be in a place where where the husband is either dominating or passive. I've seen it within marriage counseling where you'll have women women that will just say like, I just wish my husband would lead. I would do anything to have my husband lead. And yet, he's passive. There's no leadership that takes place. And you have circumstances in which it's domination. He's there like he's big man on campus and just orders stuff around and do what I say. It's sin. It's a result of the fall. Husband's Leadership should be loving, humble leadership. We see here that Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. To love our wives. That's what God's called us towards. Husbands, love your wives. Love them. Now you may be in a place where your response is, she knows that I love her. I mean, I go to work. Or, I'm still here, aren't I? And you may love with, with that which is your broken kind of sinful, fleshly love. That's not what the Christian has been called towards. It's not what the Christian husband has been called towards. You've been called to love your wife as Christ loves the church. You don't get to decide, well, this is how I love. This is how I show love. Your love should be that which people look upon and see Christ in it. Think of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13. Most of you have this memorized. If not, you have heard it before, more than likely. Love suffers long and is kind. Or love's patient and it's kind. And so if you say, well, of course I love you. Does it look like Christ towards the church? Is Christ patient with us? Absolutely, isn't he? He's always patient with us. He, he, he's incredibly patient with us. Is he kind towards us? <laughs> Kindness in which the world does not know our Savior is towards us. Husbands, Patient, be kind. Love does not envy. It's not jealous. Love does not parade itself. You have no idea how lucky you are to have me. Do you know how many girls wanted to marry me? And I picked you? That, that is the kind of parading. Your, I'm not saying this from, that's not what I say to my wife. <laughs> Nor do I think that way. Um, but there are times in which those are the kind of things that come out of people's mouth. That's not love. You, you, don't, you don't have it be where you are parading yourself. Love is not puffed up. There's no boasting that comes with love. Love does not behave rudely. It doesn't behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. 
How awesome would our marriages be if, if it's just like, no, I want to bless you. No, I want to bless you. But I want to be the biggest blessing. No, I want to be the biggest blessing. You, if that's taking place, there's a sweetness. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity or sin, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So, so, so love could take a word like divorce and just go into the Webster Dictionary if you have a Christian husband and wife and you could just mark through that with your little magic marker and say this word does not come up because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so it's not like, well, you, one more time and I'm done. It's not love. That's not, you, you don't get to decide how many times, 70 times 7 you forgive. There's an allowance for biblical divorce. But not just because you're just done or you're tired. There's biblical reasons where divorce is allowed. But a loving husband or a loving wife is not to be in a place where it's just, I'm done. Christ does not love us because we're perfectly lovable. So if the mentality is, well, I'll love you like that if you submit like that. Or I'll submit like that if you love me like Christ loves the church. But I'm not going to do it until you do your part. That's not what we find in Scripture at all. We see a bridegroom, Christ, who loves us when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. There was nothing beautiful about us. He didn't look at us and say, like, oh, you are a wretch, but you have such great possibilities. That's not the way that God sees us. God loves us when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. That's how he loves us. He first loved us. He loved us when we were far from lovable. And our love is not to be conditional upon our wives or husbands being lovable. Wives wouldn't be fearful were adverse to the biblical idea of submission if they knew that their husbands loved them in the same manner as Christ loves them. There'd be a sweetness that's there as far as like, well, I may not totally agree with him, but he, I know he loves Christ the most. He wants to honor God the most. And he loves me. It would make biblical submission joyful. We see that not only did Christ love the church, but he gave himself for the church. Or he handed himself over sacrificially to suffering and even to death. There is a giving of himself for the church. Husbands also ought to likewise give ourselves in servant-like and in a sacrificial manner to our wives. Again, the text says, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. There is a giving of ourselves to our spouse that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is what Christ does for us. This is what he does for us as his bride. He takes us and he molds us and he conforms us into the image of his son. He loves us like that. He takes us and he purifies us through his word we read passages like this and we once maybe thought in a one way that was unbiblical and we are changed to think in a biblical manner and he takes his word and he molds us conforms us into his image this isn't a, a passage that's teaching that that a husband ought to be that which is in charge of of progressive sanctification for our wives it's a passage that looks and says this is the way that christ loves us this is what he does for us and in a likewise manner love your wives like this there should be a desire to build our wives up to edify our wives to encourage our wives in christ to encourage our wives in the gospel to be in a place where we're pointing them constantly to what god says in his word and the hope that comes from him washing in the word 
Ephesians 4.15 says this, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the, edific- for, the, for the edifying of itself in love. We ought to be using the gifts that God has given us, all of us, to one another, and also within our marriages. That we are working to encourage one another in our faith to build up each other. Husbands towards wives, wives towards husbands. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. We, we love our own bodies, right? You're too hot, and it's just like, I need air conditioning. You hit your thumb with a hammer, and it's like, did I do something? Put it under the water. You want to help your thumb. You do whatever it takes to help your thumb. You feel sick, you want medicine. You're tired, you want to go to sleep. You do whatever you can to be a blessing to your body, don't you? You're hungry, you eat. Likewise, if you love your own body like that, you're to love your wife. It tells us that, that Christ loves us like that. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it. There's a nourishing. Husbands ought to seek to nourish our wives in biblical and Christ, in a Christ-centered manner, but also cherishing them in a manner that exemplifies our love. We cherish them. Your marriage is to look like Christ towards the church. He nourishes us and he cherishes us. Think of how we are towards one another. That ought to be what's taking place. A cherishing, a putting others first. Loving and just caring for our spouse. It's what we're called towards. Cherishing. I pray that that word would stick in your minds to where you ask yourself frequently, am I cherishing? Am I cherishing my spouse? When Tasha and I got married, I was asked the question, do you take Tasha to be your wedded wife? Do you solemnly promise before God in these witnesses that you will love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health, and that forsaking all others, for her alone, you perform all the duties that a husband owes a wife until God by death will separate you. And I said, I do. And then we went from there, and they said, repeat after me, I, Kevin, take you, Tasha, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. And according to God's holy plan, I give you my love. To love and to cherish. It's part of our vows. To cherish her. Till death separates us. Marriage. To have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse. There's times where come, people come to me and say, like, okay, we need to talk because it's, it's, it's as bad as it's ever been. It's the worst that it's ever been. And I'll say sometimes, so it's the worst. Yeah, it's the worst. I mean, we're at a point we're done. Well, you don't get to be done because you said that you would do it for better or for worse. You signed up for this. It's the worst. You signed up for it. So let's get through it. Makes you all want to come to me for biblical counseling, don't you? <laughs> you can see Pastor Jim. You can see Andy. You can see... I- but there comes a point of you agreed for better or for worse. You agreed upon that. And so when it's the worst, go through it. 
You agreed about it. You made a vow before God and before all the witnesses for better or for worse. You agreed. For richer or for poorer, you agreed. In sickness and in health. I've watched spouses here in our church serve their spouse in sickness and in health. I've watched people serve, and I, when I hear that, when I read that, when I say that at a wedding, there's people, there's some of you, you're, you come into my mind immediately because I have watched you serve your spouse in the worst of times, in times of the greatest sickness, until death separated you or even through this day. It's an awesome thing because that's how Christ loves us. There's a vow that goes towards one another as far as this is what I commit towards. But with it comes, and I will cherish you. I will cherish you until death separates us. Christ nourishes us and he cherishes us. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. There is a leaving and a cleaving that takes place. So you don't go to mom and dad. Always. You go to husband and wife. There's a leaving and cleaving of that and going to where you are now one flesh. Um, that is your biggest priority. Men, women, husbands, wives, I encourage you. Like if you think of, of a target, okay? By the way, Leighton Nagawa drilled the target at the men's retreat. Drilled it right in the center. So picture that I did not, but I did better than most of you guys. So you, you look at the... the it's true. The, the, you know it. You think of a target. Just kidding. Husband and wife are in there in the center with God. From there's children. From there's additional family and loved ones. From there's church. From there is outside. You, we, we ought not to let things come into that center of husband and wife. Some of you, 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 you your kids are in the midst of all of it to where you get to a place where your kids grow up and they go away to college and you're like, I don't know you. Our whole lives have been about the kids and this marriage has not been protected at all to where you don't even know what to do because your spouse has not been central, protected at all. Not that kids aren't to be a part of all this. You are in the next little realm. There's such, to be such care of our marriages and of our families and then from there to others that go outside. But there is a leaving and cleaving that must take place in a way that honors God most. It's important for us as believers. A husband shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. There's a unity that is there. First Chronicles 16 says this, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and gladness are in His place. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory that is due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. The world also is firmly established and it shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Families of the peoples. Marriages, families, may you be joined together to where your goal is to proclaim Christ, to live out the gospel, to be able to say to the world, the Lord reigns and He is good and the gospel is precious and this is what God has done in me and through me and in our marriage and this is why we are the way that we are is because of Christ. This is why we forgive the way we forgive because of Christ. This is the way we, why we love the way we love. This is why we have peace like we have peace. It's because of Christ and we just want to go and proclaim Him here and even to the uttermost parts of the world but it starts 
starts with we are one flesh and that is our one goal and that is to do that, to esteem Christ, to make much of Him in this world. That's what our marriages ought to look like. The two shall become one flesh. Precious, precious unity that's there. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Our marriages are to be a picture of Christ and the church. The way husbands love, the way wives submit, the way that we say, hey, we will go counterculture to everything in this world, and we want to do things biblically. Biblical headship, biblical leadership, biblical submission, biblical love for one another. Biblical way of having our families operate, a biblical way of how we shine and are united in the gospel. It matters. It's a great mystery. But Paul says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Love your wives. Men, love your wives. If you have failed in that, repent. Make changes. Today, make changes. Don't have the attitude of this is who you married. Be molded, conformed into the image of Christ and let your kids and those on the outside see what took place there. They don't talk to each other the way they used to talk to each other. It's a change that's occurred and it's Christ. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. Husbands, love your wives as yourself. Love your wife. I assure you that your wife is sitting there saying, yes, love me like that. I want to be loved. I want to be loved. And they do. You do, don't you? And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Men, do you want to be admired? Do you want to be esteemed? I bet you do. I do. There's a biblicalness of this, of looking and saying, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. Not because he dominates you, but respect him because God's given him a position within the family to lead. Encourage him in his leadership. Respect him and love him like that. I pray, you guys, that we would have healthy marriages. We would be in a place where We want to honor God in the way our marriages are taking place. The gospel goes forward from people just watching us. I see some of your marriages and I I, I think you're doing well in that area. But you may be in a place where you're thinking as a couple, we're not doing well. Well, then repent. Make changes. Be in a place where, where you know how Christ loves you. Make that be your goal for one another. Love like that. It's a great mystery. It's Christ and the church. If you've tried to do things your way, please know your way is not the right way. The way our culture says marriage should take place will lead to the majority of people having marriages end. Do things God's way. Husbands, do things God's way. Wives, do things God's way. The way we love each other, may we do it God's way. And may Christ be glorified in it all. And there will be joy for us. I'll close with this. There are people who have marriages that are miserable. And they go through a long, long period of time of misery in their marriages because they are determined to do it their way. Repent of that kind of boastful, prideful attitude. Look at Christ. Look at the way he has loved us and served us and blessed us how he nourishes us, how he cherishes us. Do it God's way. I assure you that you will have 
happy husbands and happy wives and happy children. And that God will shine brightly through you. There is far more joy in doing it God's way than doing it your way. If you're sitting here this morning saying it has not been peaches, know this, that God's way is far better. And even when it's for better or for worse, in the worst of times, there will still be joy when Christ is the center of your marriages. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so thankful for the gospel. Christ, you have died for us. You have loved us perfectly. You cherish us. You mold us, conform us into your image. You nourish us with your word. You wash us with the water of your word. You serve us and you love us unconditionally. You have been the perfect example of what marriage ought to look like. Your faithfulness towards us, your forgiveness towards us, your grace towards us, your mercy towards us, your patience towards us is absolutely perfect. May we walk as you have walked. May we love in a like manner through your Holy Spirit who works. If there's a need for repentance today, oh Lord, may we repent. You tell us that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You tell us that your mercies are new every morning. You tell us that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I pray, Lord, that we would repent and then just commit ourselves to think biblically, to do things your way, and then just watch you write a whole new chapter in our lives in a way in which you are most glorified. And at this time, Lord, please be glorified through the praises of your bride, of your people, whom every one of us, whether we are a child or single or divorced or a widow or in a difficult marriage or in a wonderful marriage, every one of us has the perfect bridegroom, and that is you, Christ. We're thankful for you. We praise you. We adore you. May that come forward now through the praises of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.